This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, May 1st, 2023. I'm Kyle Callums, and this is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. In our second half hour on today's program, the musical career of Glenn Campbell before superstardom. This week's Arkansas explores Campbell's days as an in-demand studio session guitarist for everybody, from the Beach Boys to Frank Sinatra. First, the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences will use a $15 million grant to explore the best practices for postpartum follow-up with new mothers to reduce maternal mortality and morbidity. The five-year project is funded by the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. Last week, we talked with Pearl McElfish, the Director of Community Health and Research at UAMS, about the study. She says the work is in response to high maternal mortality rates in both the United States and in Arkansas. Maternal mortality in the United States, and particularly in Arkansas, is closer to a third world country. And so even though we are a very advanced nation, we really lag behind, or unfortunately, we have more maternal mortality than any other developed nation. The $15 million, this will be over five years. Correct. Um, It will... Help me understand, it's going to study a couple of different ways that maybe you can stay in touch with patients? Yes. So ACOG came out with recommendations a few years ago about how postnatal care should be conducted. And one of their primary recommendations is that a woman should receive care early, quickly after she gives birth. And so right now what happens as a woman gives birth, she may stay in the hospital 24 hours at the most. She is sent home and told to come back and see the doctor in six to 12 weeks. That's a long period of time. Many things can happen during that six to 12 week period, including depression, hypertension, hemorrhage, um, advanced states of diabetes. So there can be many problems that fold into or cause this maternal mortality. And what we are planning to do is really to implement ACOG's recommendations by having a nurse call the mom in that 10 to 14 days, so about two weeks after she is released from the hospital and goes home, and really have a checklist of symptoms so that we are understanding and catching any problems early on. We will also take advantage of one of the really successes in Arkansas, and that's telemedicine. And so we will send moms home with monitors for blood pressure, for weight, and for temperature so that we can catch an infection or um, problems with hypertension. Um, Weight gain is often something that happens with infection. So we can catch those things and make sure that the mom is seen very quickly. These monitors, I mean, they will relay information about blood pressure back to the medical facility? Yes. So the monitors will not only record and provide the information to the mom, but it will also 
put that information back into their medical record with alerts. And so if a number is out of range, an advanced practice nurse will be notified, she will review it, she will call the patient, and then get any of the physicians involved that need to. And so yes, there is that automatic information exchange and notification. We actually think this might be most successful with patients who don't speak English as their first language because that data will automatically notify the clinical team. Is there a specific challenge for Arkansas because we have so many people who live in rural areas who are, you know, they can't necessarily get back to the doctor in time to, you know, if, if, if there's a medical emergency. You can be, there are people who live 40, 60, 75 minutes from a hospital. Yes, Arkansas has two real challenges that I think are more acute here than in other states. One is that we are an exceptionally rural state. About half the population lives in a rural area. And so if you can imagine having a newborn baby, you may also not have a car, Mm -hmm. and you're asked to drive two or three hours sometimes to go back to the doctor. And two or three hours may sound like an exaggeration, but to be honest, in many places of Arkansas, there is no obstetrical care, none. And so people really are driving several hours each way to see the doctor, and if they also have transportation constraints or the gas money, um, help watching their other children. So many, many constraints in rural Arkansas. Social determinants of health are really another big challenge for Arkansas. And so if a family is low income, they have transportation issues or just concerns with gas money or child care for the other children, it can be an overwhelming burden to come back to the doctor. And many women just don't make it back. In fact, 50% of all women in Arkansas do not go to their postnatal care visit, and it's even higher among women who are on Medicaid. I do want to make it very clear, though, our goal isn't to take the place of the postnatal visit. We want moms to come back to the doctor. When the nurse calls, she's going to encourage them to come back to the doctor. However, we feel that 6 to 12 weeks is just far too late, and we know that there are many deaths that happen in that window or people become so sick during that window that it's difficult um, even when it's caught their postnatal visit. So we really think that we can save many women's lives with this. How, how will this roll out? How will you determine who, who are the mothers, the new mothers that you're going to include in the study? One of the most exciting things about the study is it's not just going to take place in Little Rock and Northwest Arkansas, but we will be recruiting from places like El Dorado, um, outside of Jonesboro and Northeast Arkansas, and also near the Fort Smith area. And so really want to include residents from around the state and get as deep into those rural areas as we can. Now, the birthing hospitals are essential for the intervention, and so we will be recruiting women who are at those um, birthing hospitals. We will recruit um, really any woman who is giving birth in those hospitals and follow them for an entire year. Mm. And so hopefully at the end of this five-year period, you have some, we have some information that can tell us reducing 
uh, maternal mortality, but giving us better results all the way through. Yes, our hope ultimately is that there is change in the way that postnatal care is practiced. The healthcare system's already very busy and overburdened in many ways. And so it's critical that there's evidence that will support the value of this. And in order for reimbursement to be appropriate for an intervention like this, it's really critical that we're able to show the value. It is going to be a large randomized control trial, which is the gold standard in research. And so we are confident that we will be able to answer that question of is an early check-in call from a nurse and is the telemedicine intervention, do those things result in reduced maternal mortality? This effort is really part of a broader commitment from UAMS and really broader efforts of many organizations. One of the things I am most excited about is this week that we will see the premiere of Giving Birth in America, which is going to highlight some of the maternal health disparities. And there are many partners from the Arkansas Department of Health and their Life360 program to um, foundations right here in Northwest Arkansas who are really committed to improving maternal health and child health. And so we have a lot of challenges in Arkansas, but what I have seen with many other issues is that we can collaborate to really shift the outcomes of moms. And I am so encouraged that we will begin to see maternal mortality improve. Pearl McElfish is the Director of Community Health and Research at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. Ahead on our show, we mark the 22nd anniversary of a story that gripped all of Arkansas and people well beyond the state. It was definitely starting to suffer from the effects of exposure. Um, so I was starting to starve to death. I was starting to become extremely dehydrated. And, you know, things were getting dire, but I never at any point thought, I'm not going to make it out of this. The search and rescue of a six-year-old girl lost deep in the Newton County wilderness, a story that reached its amazing conclusion 22 years ago today. Randy Dixon with the Prior Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History brings us archives from then and interviews from now about the search for Haley. That's ahead on today's Ozarks at Large. Arkansas Community Foundation has a vision for communities in Arkansas to become the places your kids will want to raise their kids. By strategically funding local nonprofits, ARCF provides not only resources, insight, and inspiration, but also statewide impact to build better communities. More at ARCF.org. KUAF is supported by Dr. Kathleen Wong, a psychiatrist providing infusion therapy for treatment of depression and anxiety disorders. Following NIMH protocol, studies show ketamine infusion therapy can reduce suicidal ideation and is an effective alternative when other treatments fail. drkathleenwong.com for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. The University of Arkansas Fort Smith's 2023 Day of Giving collected a record number of gifts. UAFS officials say the campaign concluded Friday with just more than 1,200 gifts totaling more than $94,000. That exceeded the original goal of $78,000. This year's event saw the highest number of donors in the history of UAFS Day of Giving and a 43% increase in unique gifts compared to last year. 
Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson's bid for the White House is underway after last week's formal announcement in Bentonville. This weekend, Roby Brock, with our partner Talk Business and Politics, asked Chuck Todd from NBC's Meet the Press about Hutchinson's chances of success in the Republican primaries as a candidate saying former President Trump should not be the party nominee. There are a one in four Republican uh, primary voters who do not want Donald Trump to be the nominee and who think MAGA, the movement, is bad for the GOP. And so there is a constituency. Now, the struggle, I think, for Governor Hutchinson is that this constituency is not a majority inside the party, right? And so while I think he's got an open lane for that 25 percent, which, by the way, would probably make him a strong, he'll, he'll end up doing probably better than some of these other better-known candidates who are all trying to swim in the same lane as Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. So on one hand, I think he's got a wide-open field to that constituency on his own, unless the governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, gets in. But as we learned with John Kasich, right, he was sort of on one hand the last man standing, but there wasn't a majority inside the party that bought into his vision of the party. Todd says the challenge for a candidate like Asa Hutchinson is capturing enough Trump supporters to be a challenger to the frontrunner. That full conversation between Chuck Todd and Roby Brock can be found at talkbusiness.net. The average gallon of gasoline in Arkansas today is four cents cheaper than one week ago, according to the website GasBuddy. The site's survey of more than 1,800 gas stations in the state puts the average cost of a gallon at $3.17. That price point is still a dime more a gallon than this time last month, but... 60 cents a gallon less expensive than May 1st last year. The third game between the 12th-ranked Razorback softball team and number 3 in the nation, Tennessee, is tonight at Bogle Park in Fayetteville. The teams have split the first two games of the series. And the number 6-ranked Razorback baseball team back on a winning streak after a three-game sweep of Texas A&M in Fayetteville this weekend. Up next, Arkansas will host Lipscomb in Bomb Stadium tomorrow night. She's a little girl who's going places. She's smart, and she's tender, and she's an angel here on this earth. The people of Newton County who have been amazing have just broken these woods with their feet and their legs and their hands to look for my daughter. Thank you. That is a tough bit of of archive to listen to Randy Dixon. Very emotional. Randy is with the... Uh, David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Every Monday we come in and use some archives to look back at Arkansas's past. Now, that was emotional, but I'm just going to do the spoiler alert right here. This story ends not just well, but great. It does. It does. Boy, you did spoil that, didn't you? <laughs> I just, I think, I think just coming in with that, I think it's important. To, yeah, that's what true. what we're doing is we're looking back at something that happened just over 20 years ago. That's right. It, well, 22 years ago today, was the big, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yes. So let's let's, let's the tell the whole story. Yes. Who you heard, uh, that was Kelly and Steve Vega, Zega uh, talking about their six-year-old daughter, Haley, who was lost in the upper Buffalo wilderness in Newton County. Like I said, it was in 2001, the end of April. And, um, you know, at this point when they were talking, she had been missing for two days. There was a massive search underway. As a matter of fact, it was um, the largest and right. still is the largest manhunt 
uh, in the history of Arkansas. So, um, well, let's just go ahead yeah. and and we're going to mix some KTV archives and reporting of the event with some updated interviews with the principals right. of this story. So let's start off uh, with this report from KTV. Six-year-old Haley Jennifer Zaga wandered away from her grandparents early yesterday morning on a trail near the Cave Mountain area. Searchers have been combing this area all night and they've now extended their search another mile. Volunteers have searched tirelessly and Channel 7's Melissa Parks was with them today. By foot and by air, searchers comb this rugged terrain all in an effort to find one little girl. It is uh, comforting to know that, that other people are willing to help and wanting to help. Haley Jennifer Zega is missing, and that's brought people all over the state to this mountain to find her. Oh, I think it's awesome. Rebecca Garner says when she heard about the search, only one thing came to mind. I have a single daughter, and that's their only child, and it's always been my greatest fear. I mean, I remember Chuck E. Cheese, that kind of thing, I'd be scared to death. Around 200 people have come together in efforts to find Haley, and Rebecca says she's not surprised. No, I'm not amazed. This is Arkansas. <laughs> we do this. This was all anybody was talking about those days in 2000. Oh, it was a national story. International it was an story. international story. Yeah. It was. Um, and, you know, it, at this point, at the end of day two, the, the authorities were baffled. That they that they hadn't found her. I mean, there were hundreds, probably close to a thousand people mm -hmm. combing these these woods near the Buffalo River. It was near Boxley, right? And there were dozens, if not scores, of people from Fayetteville, Washington, and Benton County that were taking off from work, taking off from school, and going to help. Yes, and people traveling from other states, yes, yes. to come and look. So. Um, you know, it, it got to the point that people were frustrated. It was depressing, really. It was grim. It was. This is and, why I wanted to give the spoiler alert. Okay, yeah. 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 Uh, we don't want to bum everybody right, out on right, Monday. Right. But, you know, there were even thoughts at this point that she might have been found by someone and then kidnapped, mm -hmm. which would make matters even worse and more stress on the family. But I talked to her mother, uh, Kelly, um, just a few days ago, and you know I asked her about this this added stress about a possible kidnapping. That morning, we're getting feedback from the search and rescue folks um, and people that you know were were driving the whole campaign to find her. That because there had been no trace of her, it was really looking as though maybe this needed to be moving to some type of criminal investigation because, you know, if she had just wandered off, it just didn't make sense that she hadn't been found. And so they were going to be sort of changing the scale of the search at that point, which is not what you want to hear when your child is still not recovered. But we also understood, you know, what they were faced with, and you can't just comb through the woods forever looking for something that's not there. So we were grappling with the idea that that maybe she had been taken and the information that we had gotten about the search and rescue dog teams and that type of thing kind of led us to wonder, you know, why they had lost her scent in the locations that they had and maybe somebody had taken her. So we got prepared to make a 
a very public statement to essentially say if if you know where she is, if you have any idea of her era, her whereabouts, and you know if you've taken her, that no questions asked, just bring her back to us. I want to just add here a, a bit of disclaimer. When I started as full-time at KUAF in 1989, one of the, my responsibilities back then was to teach a student lab yes. in journalism. And my student assistant that year was Kelly. Okay. Kelly Hale well, at the time. And she was an intern okay. at KATV. Right. So this is Arkansas. It's a small state. It, Absolutely. It, yeah, we, we're all yes. connected. Yes. But um, – this is what she was going through. So let's go to the perspective of the news. And um, here is a report, and this is on day two, uh, from KATV's Jason Peterson. After two full days of reclusion and despair, Steve and Kelly Zaga arrive at a small mountain cabin. The parents will not answer questions about their six-year-old daughter, Haley. They just want to share what is on their racing minds and breaking hearts. If anyone knows where this baby is, I don't care how you know, um, how how you find her, why you have her, where she is. It doesn't matter to us. We just want her back. Investigators say they have so far developed no information that points to an abduction. Tips or leads have been coming in, but no specifics are being shared. Colleen Nick, whose daughter Morgan was abducted nearly six years ago, says it's natural for parents to hope for the best, but consider the worst. If you had not found your child in the woods after two and a half days of searching, um, you would begin also to suspect that maybe your child wasn't in the woods. Um, statistically, from Haley's being missing, she probably is in the woods, but if she's not, they want to be ready. There wasn't a lot of optimism after day two, because this was terrain that was tough. And it was just like, how could this how could this little girl not be found in this search area? Well, and even worse, us in the media didn't know this, but the family did. They were considering mm. uh, shifting the operation from a search and rescue to a search and recover. And we Which, know what that means. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, one of the reporters, you know quite well. Yes, I remember. <laughs> That's one reason I, another reason I remember this story so well. Right. Your wife, mm -hmm. Laura Kellams, uh, was working for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Yeah. So, you know, I spoke to her um, about, you know, the, the fact that things were really starting to look bleak. It had just been so long, and you start to think about a six-year-old child out in the wilderness and, um, you know— the, you're on day that, three. Yeah, you're on the big, you know, the the beginnings of that day sort of turned over the 48 hours while while we were out there covering it, and it just um, there was just a real feeling, I think, among everyone, even though everyone was really hopeful and was searching, they just felt like they had searched. Uh, you know, people were were searching, you know, arm in arm, hand in hand. They were trying not to miss any blade of grass, any place where she could be, and so it just. It, yeah, it had started to feel pretty grim. Like, how how could she be here? How could they not have found her if she's still alive, or or if uh, if if in fact she hadn't been taken? But, like you said, yes, yes, things get better, and I mean just like over the moon better. Well, as a matter of fact, 
It happened in between our 5 and 6 o'clock news. Uh, let's listen in on from what changed from that 5 o'clock newscast with Jason Peterson to the 6 o'clock. The 6-year-old girl has been found alive in the remote area of Newton County. Channel 7's Jason Peterson is live tonight at the command post. And Jason, this is some very good news. Boy, is it ever good news. Here's the latest from the scene. We'll bring you the latest information. As you mentioned, 6-year-old Haley Zaga has been found inside the 4.5-mile search area that was mapped out. Now, she was deep inside the search area. She, we're told she's still in the search area with her parents. The best news of all is Newton County Sheriff's Department is reporting that if she has any injuries, they're only minor. She's fine. Ambulances are on the way to get as close as they can to her to treat her for any minor injuries or possibly dehydration. After all, she has been in the woods on her own, probably a very scared little girl for more than two days. And every, it was so emotional for everyone. I mean, you could even tell at the end of that report, Jason was getting uh, a little emotional. So Kelly here, the mother, right, uh, describes her perspective uh, that was happening at pretty much the same time when the sheriff pulled up to the cabin where she and the family were staying. He looked right at me and he said, I've got a little girl who's looking for her mama. And the screaming and yelling and laughing and crying that erupted um, from everyone who was at that cabin was a sound I will never forget as long as I live. Let's hear from the little girl herself. No longer a little girl. No, she's 28. She's moved back to Fayetteville, as a matter of fact. And um, so I had a chance to talk to her last week. And I've the first thing I ask her is, you know, what went through your mind when you first realized you know, you, you were with your grandparents? Now that you're not. Right. You, you, you can't find anyone and you're in the middle of the woods. You know, what went through her mind? I think the first thing that really went through my mind after I kind of the realization settled in was, okay, well, I've gotten myself into this problem, so I'm going to get myself out. Um, I've always been pretty determined, pretty uh, self-reliant, even as a small child. So um, I, I've always kind of had the mindset of if I get myself into a problem or a sticky situation, then I should be the one who works to get me out of it. And so that was kind of my mindset through the whole, through the whole ordeal was that I – was going to walk myself out of the woods, and that's what I tried to do. That sort of, I don't know if it's naivete mixed with determination, like she said, but just like, okay, this stinks. But I'm going to get out of here. Yeah, it's easier said than done, it right? It may get worse before it gets better, but this is going to be resolved. Yeah, so, you know, she's six years old. This is day three, and so... I asked her, you know, with with all the frustration, which I'm sure you would feel, because, I mean, three days to a six-year-old is a long, long time. Throw me in the Upper Newton County wilderness for three days, and I break. Oh, easily. And I'm not six years old, yeah. Right, yeah, I, I couldn't. No. I couldn't do it, so great respect yes. for her. But I, I did ask her if she ever really kind of gave up hope. I was definitely starting to suffer from the effects of exposure. Um, so I was starting to starve to death. I was starting to become extremely dehydrated. And, you know, things were getting dire. But I never at any point thought 
I'm not going to make it out of this. I, I was convinced that I was going to to get through it. And of course, I wasn't happy. Like, I didn't want to be out there. I was not having a good time by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it was not a pleasant experience. But at the same time, I had no concept that I wouldn't make it through it. Let's talk about the rescuers. Uh, they are 100% Newton County. Oh, absolutely. And I, I like to call them um, heroes on mules mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they, they really are uh, the, the true heroes of this. So um, let's hear Jason Peterson call out these guys. You could call this a miracle. Jason Peterson is live for us tonight in Newton County. And Jason, we're hearing that she was found somewhere around uh, four miles from the area where she was lost. Are you hearing the same thing? Yeah, that's what we're hearing here in Newton County. And let me give you two names. Lytle James, 64 years old, and William Valines, 51 years old. These two gentlemen live in a little community called Mount Sherman, about seven miles west of Jasper. They were uh, they were described by many maybe as good old boys, but a lot of people here in Newton County, especially the friends, family, parents, and grandparents of Haley Zaga are calling them heroes tonight. They were riding their mules along a creek bed looking for Haley, volunteering. They weren't even part of the uh, actual official rescue effort, search effort. They were riding along a creek bed and uh, they came upon Haley. They described for, to us why they were looking, where they were looking, and what brought them there. No, we were just heading down the river. We was going to look. We'd seen, we'd seen a couple tracks earlier down there and we hadn't seen nobody else's tracks and we got thinking there was little bitty tracks. We got thinking it might have been her, you know. So we went down below where we'd seen those tracks and sure enough, we found her there laying out at the edge of the water there. Little human tracks, like yeah. footprints. Yeah. She just stepped a little sand pile and just barely touched it a couple places, and you couldn't hardly tell. Wow. And that's how you knew to, to look Well, we know pretty close she was in that area, you know. She said she slept on the bluff the first night, and said she slept in the cave the second night, and said she said, I don't know where she slept the other night. So, you so know, I, I'm sorry, the second night. They weren't even in the, the search party area. They, they kind of just went off on their own. So... Um, I liked what Kelly said here, and and she explained not only how the search works, but how these two special guys kind of went their own way, and that's what did it. When they conduct these search and rescue missions, there's a little bit of science that they try to apply to it, and they look at the profile of the individual who is missing and kind of try to figure out how far would they have gone, how much resistance would they be up for, uh, you know, and just really look at the at the personality and the, the likelihood of the behavior of the individual. And then they create a grid and lay it over a potential search area and they put a percentage probability that somebody will be found within a particular grid over the map. And so obviously, you know, in the areas that the percentage is higher because of the proximity to where someone went last was seen, the percentage is higher. And so that's where they focus the the bulk of their resources. And she was way outside of that. (laughs) So, um, you know, the fact that they decided to do something different really saved her life. And not to say that the way that search and rescue operations are typically conducted is not the way to do it. It's just she kind of, she sort of bucked the system. And um, thankfully, they had other ideas. And yeah, and like what Kelly says, you can't fault the people who are doing the official organization. They 
they know the percent, the high percentages. Right. You just don't think a six-year-old girl is going to walk more than four miles away from the spot. Exactly. Yeah. And and be able to get down to the river, you know. But I asked um, Haley about, you know, what what was it like when you first saw these guys come out of the woods on mules? It was just abject relief. I, I have no other way to describe it. You know, I was so exhausted and I've been out there for so long and I've been walking for so long that I don't believe I was very outwardly demonstrative by the gratitude that I felt and the relief that I felt cannot be understated. Um, and, you know, people have asked me like, well, how did you know that you could trust them? And honestly, I didn't have a choice. I, I I had to, you know, and thankfully they were absolute angels on earth, but um, it was just, there was no negative emotion in my, in my head when they, when they emerged from the other side of, of the river, the men who found me, they were not a part of the official search party um, because they were told, you know, that where they wanted to look would probably be a waste of resources because I was well outside of the search range. And so I think it's also a great story of trusting your gut, doing what you believe is the right thing, and that miracles can happen when we trust ourselves and trust each other. And, you know, when we work together and put aside all the silly, silly differences um, and come together to help, amazing things do happen. You know, this was, like we've been saying, an emotional story, a moving story, and even for the press covering it. And and here's your wife, Laura, um, explaining how, how it affected every one of us, because I was covering it, too. I don't know if I've ever covered something, ever covered something that went from so sad to so miraculously wonderful within just like such a short amount of time. And uh, I think it was, everyone was just completely blown away by, by, uh, by totally unexpected news when everyone was kind of in a, in a, the whole place was kind of in a grim uh, outlook. And then just the, the, the fact that she came in on a mule was just so miraculous. And to be able to cover that was one of the best things um, in my journalism career. You know, I was curious about, because I'm thinking back when I was six, and I don't even have that vivid of memories. And and Haley told me that well, she has relived it so many times oh, sure. that it's very vivid to her. But I wanted to know how a six-year-old would think. I need to get down to the river and follow the river because I'll find something by doing that. Because, I mean, it was a 200-foot bluff yeah. she had to climb down. So I I asked her about that. Well, I don't even necessarily know that I knew that there was a river there. I mean, where we started the hike, we were on top of the bluff line. Um, and I had never been out in that part of the woods before. So I don't even think that I knew that the Buffalo River was in the valley. Um, I mean, I, I think... The way that I got there was with help from my imaginary friend um, who helped me find the river. I was like, okay, so rivers lead to bridges, which lead to roads, which lead to gas stations or civilization of some sort where I can contact my parents. 
Do you hear it? Yeah. What? The imaginary friend? Yes. Yeah. Boy, okay. That just opens up a whole right. nother story right. to right. this. So, you know, this is where it gets really interesting. This is um, where it gets more. It's already been really interesting. But well, yeah. It takes a whole nother. Yeah. It just goes way out yeah. there. Uh, so she had a, an imaginary friend, another little girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name was Alicia. I mean, she remembers her. She, well, she helped her climb down the cliff, she said, um, actually climbed bef- in front of her mm-hmm. so she could catch her if she needed to and kept her company through the entire ordeal. She helped her find the little cave that she slept in. But it wasn't until a few days later that she told her mother about it. Surprise. We went into pretty pretty good detail um, about her friend Alicia. And she said Alicia is four years old and she has long, dark hair. And she described what she was wearing. And um, she said that she came to her as soon as Haley knew she was lost. So she was accompanied. And apparently stayed with her until the gentleman found her. And then she told Haley that she was going to go back to her family. And um, over the course of the time that Haley was lost, they sang songs. They told each other jokes. They talked and talked and talked. Yeah, it's just amazing what I think the, the human brain can do I know. to make you survive. Right. To and make I was... you feel okay to... to to be brave. Right. And, of course, talking to Haley, I said, I know you've been asked about this a million times, but tell me about Alicia. It was never the kind of kid who, who had imaginary friends or spoke to people who, wasn't, who, who spoke to people who weren't there. But from the moment that I knew I was lost until I was found, I had my imaginary friend, Alicia, and um, she appeared to me as a four-year-old little girl with long black hair and she kept me company um, and basically was just with me and kept me calm. She was a very positive presence for me out in the woods. And um, I, I've always just considered her an imaginary friend. Other people have speculated like she was a guardian angel. She was a ghost. She was an alien. I've had a lot of different theories uh come my way over the years and you know people can believe what they want but i am never going to change my stance on just imaginary friends i am grateful to her presence whatever it was but i don't need a definitive answer and um you don't really care do you no i don't i honestly i don't really care what she was because she was there for me um at a very difficult time in my life and I'm very grateful, but, like, I, I don't need a definitive answer. Like, I know that there are so many things in this world that I will never know. I'm a very curious person, but I also understand that there are limits to what I can know. And, you know, I'm good with that. I'm very at peace with that. And I ask her, you know, was, was it a real person? Was it a real little girl? And she said, you know, it it wasn't and wasn't. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was alone. Mm-hmm. I knew I was not with some other little girl, but 
uh, you know, lost in the woods, the two of us. I knew I was by myself, but in my mind, it was very comforting Yeah, to me. Amazing. But this is something, again, that, that's kind of interesting. She had mentioned the thing about a ghost. Well, I looked into some things because I'd been hearing, um, even Kelly told me, uh, about a story of a little girl who was murdered by her mother and cult members. Her mother was in a cult. The body of this little girl who had been murdered, she had been shot eight times oh by these people. And they took her body and, and put it in a shallow grave um, in the area outside of Boxley, in the general area where Haley was lost. Mm -hmm. And it happened on April 28th of 1978, and Haley was lost on April 29th of 2001. Well, okay, so whatever this comforting, helpful imaginary friend was yes you asked Haley about what she took away i've learned that i am capable of a lot i'm capable of enduring a lot but i think more importantly what i've learned is that even when it really seems like there is nothing to look forward to and you know in in the world today we get a lot of really bad news basically every day but I can look back on this moment and know that there were so many people who, out of the pure goodness of their hearts, came out to look for me. And I think in those several days while I was missing, I was like everybody's little girl, you know, people who I have never met, who I will never meet, dropped everything at great sacrifice in some cases. I mean, people left their jobs for a couple of days. They left their families. And they drove out to the middle of the woods to look for a little girl to make sure that she got home safe to her family. And that sense of community, that sense of if somebody needs help, you help them. And you mentioned this at the beginning of our conversation, but today is a special day in all of this. Absolutely. It's, it would be, what, the 22nd anniversary of her being found. And it's, very, it's a very special date for Haley and her family. So here's what she said. I try. I always try on May 1st uh, to do something a little special for myself. It's like a second birthday. Um, just, you know, to celebrate being alive and to celebrate that uh, life is beautiful, even if it can be scary sometimes. So happy birthday, Haley. Wow. Quite a story. And, and I'm glad, obviously, that it ended as well as it did. Oh, it and, you know, they... It's very rare that they do end yeah. like this. Yeah. And that's why it was so depressing after a couple of days. But then I love what Haley says. Yeah, we get bad news every day. But, you know, she stops to think about what she's grateful for and what she's got. Words to live by. Randy is with the uh, Randy Dixon is with the uh, Barbara, uh, David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Be back next week. Absolutely.
Amplify Festival, a multi-dimensional art and music festival showcasing the work of local creatives, is taking place May 6th on Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville. Performances by Adam Fawcett, Bonnie Montgomery, J.T. London, Tylo May, Afrique Aya Dance and Drum, plus Middle of Nowhere Mini Film Fest, KXUA DJs, food trucks, a beer garden, and more. Gates open at noon. Tickets at AmplifyNWA.org. That's A-M-M-P-L-I-F-Y-N-W-A.org. The Artisphere Festival Orchestra returns to Walton Arts Center with two main stage concerts under the baton of Maestro Corrado Rivera's, featuring more than 90 musicians from around the world. Presenting works by Brahms and Beethoven May 16th and Respighi's Roman Trilogy on May 20th. Tickets and more at artisphererefestival.org. On tomorrow's show, musician, rapper, and all-around creative person Big Piff talks about his new web series that's about him, or at least a version of him. So it started off like being this like 90% version of me, and now it's like 50. So even when I watch the series, I'm kind of like, man, that, that guy's weird. Um, so yeah, so it's definitely sparked by me. Some instances are very much so close to reality, but other ones are more so like this was sparked from my life or interesting thought, and this is how I played it out. Big Piff on writing, acting, and creating. His new series will be screened later this week at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville, and we'll hear more on tomorrow's show at noon and 7 p.m., and you can also ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large to hear the most recent edition of our show. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Songs. Arkansas' Glenn Campbell is known as one of the state's musical giants, lesser known as Campbell's pre-stardom time as a session musician, where Campbell ruled the charts anonymously as part of a loose-knit group of studio players called the Click, or the Wrecking Crew. Glenn Travis Campbell was born April 22, 1936 in Pike County to a family of 14. Campbell was adept at music and singing from a young age. Like many Arkansas of the era, avoiding farm work fueled his ambitions as much as anything, but Campbell was especially skilled. And by the time he fell into lucrative union studio work, he'd logged many miles as a performer, including touring as a member of the Champs of Tequila fame. One of Glenn Campbell's associations during this time was with the Beach Boys. Campbell played on many of the group's early songs, including 1965 number one pop hit, Help Me Rhonda. Campbell toured as a member of the Beach Boys after band leader Brian Wilson quit touring. Campbell was one on a short list who could step in and not only play Wilson's bass guitar parts, but also sing the famous Beach Boys harmonies. Most notable are Campbell's sessions on the band's 1966 magnum opus, Pet Sounds, though Campbell declined an offer to officially join the band. Strangers in the night 
Exchanging glances, wandering in the night What were the chances we'd be sharing love Before the night was through Glenn Campbell most often played in the studio with drummer Hal Blaine and bassist Carol Kaye, but by nature, the loose-knit session players included dozens and dozens of musicians, later including Little Rock guitarist Louis Shelton. The kinds of performers Glenn Campbell and the rest played for were varied as well, from Phil Spector, Ricky Nelson, the Monkees and Nancy Sinatra, to the Righteous Brothers, Dean Martin, and Frank Sinatra. Sessions with the latter resulted in Sinatra's 1966 number one Grammy-winning comeback hit, Strangers in the Night. During recording, Campbell thought he was getting admiring glances from Sinatra for his guitar work and later saw Sinatra in the studio booth, talking while looking Campbell's way. Turns out Sinatra thought Campbell was sending him admiring glances and made it quite clear they were unwelcome. I am a lineman for the county and I drive the main road Searching in the sun for another overload As he better established his solo career in the late 1960s, Glenn Campbell found himself employing many of the same studio musicians he'd worked with as a session player. Campbell recorded key hits with his former fellow players, including 1968's Wichita Lineman and 1969's Galveston. After a comparatively lean hit-making period in the early 1970s, Campbell hit superstardom, again with help from his former cohorts in the studio with the 1975 smash Rhinestone Cowboy. Glenn Campbell had come full circle. Here in its entirety is Arkansas' Glenn Campbell of Billstown in Pike County performing I Just Wasn't Made for These Times with the Beach Boys from the 1966 album Pet Sounds. I
I just wasn't made for these times from the Beach Boys' 1966 album Pet Sounds featuring Arkansas' Glenn Campbell of Billstown in Pike County. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Arkansas is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Producer is Keith Merckx. Arkansas since 1998. And a reminder, classical music is part of KUAF as well. You can listen any time of day, any day of the week to KUAF2, our digital classical music station found at KUAF.com, on our KUAF app for iPhone and iPad, on your digital radio in your car or at home, or by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF2. And Sunday through Thursday nights from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. the next morning. You can hear Peter Vandergraaf with classical music right here on 91.3 KUAF. Tonight, he's featuring Czech music, including Dvorak and the Prague Symphony by Mozart. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Durham. Contributors to this first show of May 2023 included Stephen Cook. Program was produced inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. You can keep up with us by subscribing to the absolutely free Ozarks at Large newsletter. It lands in your email inbox every Monday through Friday morning, giving you details about stories or interviews you might have missed, as well as links to help you listen to them right then, instantly, or share through email or social media. You can subscribe to the KUAF Ozarks at Large daily email for free, at KUAF.com. From the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks so much for being with us. We're back with you again tomorrow at noon and 7.